It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 and 27 chilly degrees outside. It is chilly, my friends. If you have not yet been outdoors, okay, take a jacket. You're going to need a jacket today, and it's going to get colder in the week. I don't know. I don't think I should actually read the forecast because when I see the forecast that says it's going to be 16 or 17 or 18 or something like that midweek, it just makes me not enjoy the day, which is warmer by 10 or 15 degrees. It's going to be later on in the week. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we will have the full weekend forecast in a few minutes, but you'll get the, get the sort of the idea of where we're sliding. It's going to get colder later on this week, or next week, I should, suppose we should say. Usually each morning I talk about some gardening thing that I've done in the past week, and I will tell you that what I learned in the past week has nothing particularly to do about gardening, but it was fascinating nonetheless. Here's what it was. Someone sent me a, an email back, uh, I guess it was on Sunday of last week, and uh, this week, and they said, I have a bluebird in my backyard. Can bluebirds survive the cold weather? What should I do to keep this poor bluebird from dying? And so I don't know all that much about bluebirds. I thought that they migrated out of here and shouldn't be here right during the wintertime, so I called my neighbor, Kathy. And Kathy is a real bluebird lover. She has nest boxes that she asks my neighbors if she can put up around the neighborhood. If she sees a big open lawn, she says, hey, can I put a nest box in your, in your front yard? And so she has several bluebird nest boxes that Kathy has around. So I know that she would, she would know something about bluebirds, of course. I called Kathy up and said, hey, this guy's got a bluebird in his yard. What do you think about that? And Kathy said, they're here all the time. Bluebirds don't migrate. Well, why don't I see them? I said, why don't I see them during the wintertime? I see them during the summertime, but not during the wintertime. What's, what's the difference? And she said, well, during the wintertime, they hide back in the green spaces, back where there's berries for them to eat, holly berries and juniper and uh, mistletoe, I guess, and places where there's lots of dense green cover, like, ho uh, yeah, I guess hollies would be back there too, but things that give them the shelter from the wind and the cold that they can get back into and can take care of themselves back there so you don't see them outside of the green spaces during the wintertime. And she said the guy that has one in his backyard, that bluebird is probably hungry, and so he's out looking for something to eat. So I said, well, why do you feed them? She said, well, I feed them mealworms. They love mealworms. And I'll tell you, she said, it's not, it's not the dead ones. It's not those dried mealworms. They'll eat them sometimes, but it's what they really, really like are the live mealworms. And I thought, well... Well, gotta get me some live mealworms <laughs> and feed some bluebirds. I would like to see a bluebird in my yard. And so, sure enough, I went online and found that there are several purveyors of live mealworms, mostly for folks who feed uh, lizards and snakes and have herpetological uh, pets in the house. So they feed them mealworms, but they do have some mention of bluebirds eat mealworms as well. I got a bluebird feeder. Had to modify it a little bit to put a glass insert into it rather than a, a plastic one because they can climb up plastic, but they can't climb glass. The mealworms can't. 
And so I got the feeder, modified it, got the mealworms, modif- uh, put those in there, and hung it outside just as the cold snap a couple of days ago was starting. And so I haven't seen yet any mealworms or any bluebirds eating my mealworms out of my feeder back there. But I did learn some valuable information about mealworms. They come to you, the live ones. They come to you in a cotton bag with a very tight drawstring around the top. And I opened the drawstring to get the mealworms out. And sure enough, there were 500 mealworms all crawling around inside the cotton bag. And I got out 5 or 10 or 15 to put into my feeder and closed it back up again. Well, the next morning, I found a valuable piece of information about mealworms, which is mealworms can go through the tiniest little cracks that you leave accidentally in the cotton bag, and you wouldn't believe where the mealworms were in my kitchen. They were all over the counter. They were hiding underneath the cutting board. They were hiding underneath a piece of newspaper. They were hiding underneath a bowl. They were hiding under every place on my counter that was dark that they can sort of congregate with each other, and there were about half of them left in the cotton bag. So I had to go out with my hands and a spatula and sort of scrape them into my hand and get them back in the bowl, get them back into something they can't climb out of. So I learned about mealworms. I learned about bluebirds. I learned about how to feed bluebirds during the wintertime. And if you want to do the same, go online. As I said, there are purveyors of live mealworms online as well as mealworm feeders for bluebirds. You can get on there. I got one that has a little roof on the top so that the rain, cold, snow, anything couldn't get in there. But that's what I learned this week. I was pleased to have learned something. It wasn't anything to do about planting anything this week. I didn't plant a darn thing. Went to Pike yesterday, Ashley Frasca. You know hellebores? You know hellebores and how much we love hellebores, the white flowers in the wintertime? I love them. I've got four. Well... I went to Pike Nursery and got three more for my yard, white ones, particularly because I had a white one in the shade. And I thought, wow, that really looks nice in the shade. I need to get some more. And, of course, I went to Pike and found three more that fit the, fit the description. And so I've got them in my yard. Well, I've got them unplanted right now. They're on the, on the little wall by the carport. So I'll plant them today or tomorrow, maybe. Or next week, sometime. <laughs> you'll you'll have an excuse if you don't feel I'll like get doing it, to it tomorrow. I'll get around to it. I promise. You can check me next Saturday. If I have not planted the hellebores, you can, you know, done me a fine or something like that. Now, you know what I found? I just started attracting bluebirds to the backyard maybe about a year ago. Yeah. And they really like... Um, like a peanut-based food as oh, well. They like go it. crazy over really? the stuff I use. Maybe I should put some peanuts in my mealworm feeder, too. I'd love that. The cracked peanuts or whole peanuts or what? What kind? Um, of cracked. I used a blend. It's got you know the sunflower seeds yeah, and the peanuts yeah. and different different nuts in it. Yeah, um, a, maybe a, pumpkin nice seeds blend. too. Yeah. But they they love it. Great news this afternoon. Back to Pike. Back to the bird feeding section of Pike. Get me some peanuts and sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds and all that kind of stuff. We'll see about that. Let's go to the phones. We got our friend Nicole from Griffin, GA, joining us this morning. Good morning, Nicole. Mr. Eve. You feed birds, Nicole. Do you have a bird feeder? Oh, yes, uh, 12 months out of the year. They, they are just welcome, and I have water around yeah, it, yeah. and I have shelter underneath the tree. They are just, uh, but the cat just go after them. So I put two big uh, grill yeah. so they cannot climb, you know, but once in a while, a female is not, she's going to go. Because the water last week it was terrible, Mr. Reed. It was cold, one, it was one hour, and the water was frozen, so the bird... I, I tried to go in the bird uh, bath to get the, the the ice out, and then it went without water for a good uh, week. You yeah, know? sure. But um, talking about warm in your kitchen? Worms? Yeah, worms in my kitchen. Where do you keep your worms? <laughs> if it's not in your kitchen. 
Okay, yes, I know, Nicole, and you'll say to yourself, yeah, that's why he's not married either. Well, and possibly that might be one of the factors in my in my uh, status in life, but, uh, you know, I warn my spouses before I marry them. I say, no, we may have worms in the kitchen sometimes, so... You know, I didn't say anything. Probably I have worms than you. <laughs> I mean, worm in Canada and worm here is two yeah. different things. Oh, oh. Oh, we got those big old... Mm. We have a lot of worms. We just lift up a rock, and it's full of worms. And I see people fishing with those little dried-up things. I don't know what is a kind of catfish. He said they need a big worm. They need a kind of worms. You're talking about hellebore? Yeah, hellebores. Love hellebores. Oh, I have those big hellebores needs to be divided. And the leaves, I mean, they didn't look too good last week. Yeah. I look at the leaves, and uh, they took a beating, too, isn't it, even underneath the tree? Yeah, I, this year, for the first time, I remembered in December to shear off all the old leaves from the summertime before the new leaves started growing on my hellebores. And just as I had predicted, they look a lot better now in January because I remember to do that rather than in January thinking, oh, man, look at those sorry-looking leaves there. They're from last year. Some new leaves. I can't shear it because I don't want to hurt the new leaves. So, yeah, I sheared the leaves off in December, and now they look a lot better. Oh, I didn't know that to take the big leaves out. Yeah, just shear them down. I had a little uh, hedge trimmer thing, and so I just went through it and sheared them down to about six inches tall. And like I say, within the next couple of three weeks, new leaves, nice big fat green leaves came up off of them. Mr. Reeve, what do you know about aluminum? Hmm, uh, they make aluminum cans that hold my favorite soft drink. That's what I know. Uh, all right. <laughs> There's a place I go, this recycle aluminum. I yeah. mean, a huge yard. Yeah. If you bring some steel, they need to know if it's aluminum or just iron. Okay. Huh. So they take a magnet. Yeah. And if it sticks to uh, it, it's aluminum. If it doesn't stick to it, it'll be aluminum. If it sticks to it, it'll have some steel or iron in it, I think. Magnets stick to a steel and iron. Uh, mm. No, the magnets stick to aluminum to see if it's real aluminum. And so why why is this important to us in our gardening show this it's morning? It's because I took a magnet. I took a magnet, and I went in the, in the yard, and boy, everything stick to it. <laughs> and I said, yeah, oh, there's a lot of aluminum. And I was thinking, aluminum is not good for us, isn't it? Well, in various proportions, I'm sure that our bodies have a little bit of aluminum in them to, to help do some kind of body process. process. There's lots of aluminum in soil because uh, aluminum is what causes hydrangeas to have different colors. If you have a pink hydrangea, that means the aluminum is not present in the soil, made so by adding lime to the soil. And if you have a blue hydrangea, then that means there is a excess aluminum in the soil, which causes the blue pigment. Because I always thought that uh, when we were skin, my mother always uh, um, cooked in aluminum because yeah. it was the way. I mean, it was easy to clean. It was shiny. I know people have said that before. The aluminum cooking pans and things like that are bad for you, but I don't know if there's any reputable science that says that is true. I think people just think that, but I'm not sure it's true. Yeah, every metal just stick, you know. Yeah. Well, I didn't know there was so much aluminum, and also I know there was a lot of iron. Because of the clay. I think it's so cold out there. The aluminum just stuck to things because it froze to them. The magnet stuck to things because it was freezing to them, not because it was aluminum or iron or steel in them. It was just cold. Oh. <laughs> we got it wrong again. <laughs> Thank you.
thanks God for the University of Georgia. Thank goodness for the University of Georgia. We get a little information once in a while that might be useful from them, of course. They are making trial with um, uh, grass this time of the year. Oh, they yeah, have those yeah. big uh, new greenhouses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Maybe. boy, you, took, you should see how much uh, um, electricity they consume because you go there and you cannot see. It's just really bright. They have a fabulous new, in fact, they have three fabulous new turf grass experiment research facilities, one in Tifton, one in Athens, and one in, in Griffin, where you are. And they just got a million-dollar contract from the state to build these greenhouses because the turf grass industry in Georgia is growing so fast that they didn't have any way to research and develop new kinds of turf grasses for the consumer, and they needed research facilities. So they opened them up just this past year. Yeah, but I know they put a lot of light in there because they wanted grass to feel like it's in the sunshine, and they test it for various disease resistance and drought resistance and things like that. I think the baby boom wants their grass green all year round. Of course they do. I do. It doesn't happen, but I do. If I you know, had my choices, I would like green grass all year long. And grass that didn't grow, that didn't have to mow, that'd be another good thing. I think they're working on that in Griffith. That's what I need. <laughs> Go check it out for me, Nicole. I got to get out of here, but it's great talking to you once again. I'll see you next Saturday. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. We'll see you soon. At 619, we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, windy and cold. High only 39 today. Low overnight, 23 degrees. Better look out for the ice patches, too. It had some rain yesterday, of course, and there could be water that has frozen overnight. Be careful for that. Tomorrow, Sunday. Sunday will be Sunday. High will be 41 degrees. Low in the mid-20s overnight, going down a little bit further during the week. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Rosemary joins us from Duluth. Hey, Rosemary. Good morning. Hi. Hi. I, I want to be sure you got all those mealworms. <laughs> Are you coming to my house to eat? Is this what you're worried about? <laughs> I'll let you know if I find one. <laughs> all I can say is thank you for admitting what you did. <laughs> well, I would have had to anyway if somebody else had come and say, what is this thing in my coffee cup? What is this crawling up the side of my bowl? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, mature, uh, <laughs> this is crepe myrtles, but, you know, the tree type yeah. of crepe myrtles. How low can you cut those things? People are concerned about them getting so close to gutters and so yeah, on sure. and dripping stuff in it. And I looked on your website and saw pollarding, and I thought, oh, and I saw a picture of the pollard, something that had yeah. been pollarded on the crepe myrtle. And, yeah. oh, my God, it was like a a witch's broom that had grown out of the top of that thing. Yeah. So tell me, how how low safely can you take that kind of that that type of crepe myrtle down? Gosh, Rosemary, you can cut a crepe myrtle down to just about any height you want to. Six inches, six feet, four feet, four inches. They seem to sprout back and bloom. No matter what you do to them, they make it look ugly. And pollarded is one of those that I, you know, they do it in Europe all the time. But I still think it's ugly to look at. They have to do it there because the streets are so narrow. And if they want a tree, they have to pollard the tree, prune the tree in a way that's narrow and fits into the shape of the, of the 
streetscape. So if you want to take it down, there's tree form and it's 12 feet tall and you want to take it down to six, there's nothing wrong with that. You can do some pruning, I think, to make it more attractive rather than just chainsawing across the top and and that doesn't look so good. But you can cut oh. them down to any way you want to. They'll still bloom. And it'll, and it'll send out shoots uh, oh, yeah. about four feet. Big time. If it sends out, it'll shoot, send out shoots not only at the four-foot level where you prune, but also at the one-inch level right where the bottom of the tree is because you cut off an important source of nutrition for the roots. And so they think, wait a minute, here, rosemary, we need some leaves. And so they'll send out sprouts along the sides of the base of the trunk, too. And that would make it more bushy. That will make it more bushy. Some okay. people don't like those. Some people do. You decide what you like. Well, we'll take a chance and cut some down. <laughs> take okay. A chance. Thank you. That's all Appreciate gardening it. is sometimes, Rosemary. Just take a chance. Okay. These hellebores I got yesterday, I'm going to take a chance on them. Take a chance. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? Yeah. Hopefully, I will plant them. Hopefully, uh, Ashley will keep me in line for next week. I will plant those hellebores, put them in the garden properly not a hurry up rush job of planting but i will loosen the roots i'll get a nice nice wide hole for them in the place i'm going to put them i will put those hellebores where they're supposed to be our phone number 404-872-0750 if you want to take rosemary's place 404-872-0750 on twitter if you have a twitter account you can just ask a question hashtag ask walter and we'll read it out and answer it during the show 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 636 and 28 chilly degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves with Georgia Gardener here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do. If you want to make success being one more flower, one less bug, you just tell me what you want to accomplish. I will tell you how to accomplish it and get there in the best, easiest, laziest, research-based, experience-tempered way that you possibly can. My number is 404-872-0750 on Twitter. Hashtag Ask Walter. Ask any question you care to pose. We'll have the answer while you wait. Chuck is in. Chuck is in Tequila and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Chuck. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. It has been quite a morning. We've learned of the attack of the killer mealworm. Yes, we have. Yes, we've we have. learned Look about. Out. We've learned that aluminum is not ferrous material. However, it could be. It could have stainless as an all clad on the bottom, and yeah. it would be magnetic. Well, it's four thirty stainless. Too. You're so right. You're right. You know. But that ain't why I'm calling. Why are you calling, Chuck? Do you impart more wisdom about metallurgy, or what's going on? Uh, well, that, if you want to talk about plumbing and electrical, but let's not go that far. <laughs> I know the three uh, rules of plumbing, so we don't have to go there now. Well done. And uh, electric, uh, yeah, don't put your tongue on that. Never mind. Mm. Um, I have Japanese maples. I have one that I've planted out front in my yard. I, I dug out an entire bed that had some old spruces, and it just was taking over everything. So I just basically got in there, dug the whole bed out, put a Japanese maple out there, and I have one in a pot right now in the back yeah. as well. And I'm like going, <clears throat> I'm, the concern that I have is there's so much sun on this front where this Japanese maple is going to be that I will burn it up in the summer. Because it, it's, it's about three feet tall. It did bloom this year. 
It had nice leaves, blah, blah, blah. One in the pot did the same, and I, I'm kind of concerned about when to plant it, where to plant it, and what is the best time to plant something like that, and where to plant it is more than anything. I have been totally surprised by how tolerant of sunshine a maple can be, a Japanese maple can be, okay. if planted in the right manner to begin with so that it has a nice spreading root system that can absorb just the little bits of moisture that it needs in July and August. And I use for an example, I've used this example for 10 years since the guy planted it. And I said, hey, the guy down the street planted a maple out in the full sun is going to die. I said, so it's going to die. Mm-hmm. No, that Japanese maple is the prettiest, most gorgeous Japanese maple in full sun you would ever see. And uh, I was proven wrong, as I often am. So uh, <laughs> the, the, the deal is, if you're going to plant this little Japanese maple, particularly if it's the dissectum kind that has little narrow leaves on it, little narrow lobes on the leaves, those typically are a little bit thinner, have a thinner cuticle on the leaf itself, which means they lose water more rapidly in the summertime. But even the dissectums, if you were to dig an area, I'm thinking, Chuck, eight, eight feet down, which sounds about right, about eight feet down, and just loosen, 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 loosen the soil. It might be for this Japanese maple a good idea to put organic matter in. In most cases, the research does not show any advantage to putting organic matter in the soil when you plant a tree. But that's mostly because the trees are going to be big eventually. The maples, the you know, regular maple, red maple, and oaks are going to have way big root systems that will get out from your original planting hole pretty quickly. But with the Japanese maple, the roots are pretty small. They're not going to get further much than 8 feet in diameter. What about depth? I would think 10, 12 inches maybe is all you need to go. No tree okay. in Georgia just about is going to be any deeper than 16 or 18 inches. And the little Japanese maples, I don't think they're going to be more than 10 inches deep. So, All right, let's, let's talk about timing. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, when I went to get the Journal of Constitution, as I was holding, it's cold outside. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. And I'm thinking, okay, wait till the spring, uh, do it now. I, I, I was not sure about the other one. Yeah, but it's in the pot. It's, it's outdoors, right, the one that's in the yeah. pot? Mm-hmm. So it's acclimated it's not, it's not to unhappy. cold weather. It's just a, yeah, it's just kind of going, uh, what are you going to do with me, man? Plant it. It's dormant. Oh. It's dormant. It doesn't care how cold it is out there. If it were down to zero degrees, maybe we'd have a problem. But, you know, maples live in places where it does get zero degrees. Even Japanese maples, some of them are hardy to zero. And so yours, unless there's something that you know that I don't, I would plant it in full sun, let it be happy, and let it acclimate itself to a new home over the next couple, three months. Excellent. Walter, thank you. Chuck, it's a pleasure to be of service to you. <laughs> we will see let's you soon, man. Ferris material. Let's talk about ferrous material sometime again, <laughs> No, let's not. Let's <laughs> not talk about that. All right. Talk hey, to you later, man. You Thank you. Thanks for calling. Mary comes to us from Vinings, Georgia. Hey, Mary, good morning. Hi. Hi. How are you, Walter? Darn good, as a matter of fact. Mary, how are you? I'm doing great. I am considering starting beekeeping. Oh, great. I got a catalog at Christmas time, and it looks like you can buy a kit, and it's looks relatively easy, but I'm just wondering because I have a pomegranate bush, and you told me one time that one of the reasons I didn't get pomegranates that year was because they weren't pollen, you know, wasn't pollinating. Possibly, yeah. And Yeah, and so I think we ought to try to boost the bee count in the United States. And would that help? I Absolutely, mean, sure. Okay. Is it hard to do? No. It is remarkable how easy beekeeping is, and like any 
hobby you might take up, there are some things that make it easier and some things that make it harder. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that makes it easier is if you're always very aware that bees can decline due to in, uh, uh, not insects, mites. The varora mite is the one that's caused all the problem with colony collapse disorder, which you've read about in the paper for the past several years. So mm-hmm. as long as you're aware that mites need to be monitored in the hive, and if you get mites, you need to treat for them, make sure you don't have a mite population build up there. As long as you, they say about gardening that, um, the the best fertilizer for a garden is the gardener's shadow, and I think for <laughs> for a hive, the best most successful beekeepers are the ones who keep their shadow pretty constantly okay. near their hive. So you're constantly going out there and checking on them, and you'll soon lose your fear of them. Such as you can go and lift up the corn and sort of hear them buzzing inside during the winter time, or during the summer you can see them really busily going in and out, and in and out, and in and out of your hive. Um, and do you have neighbors that might be worried about bees or something like that? I don't think so. Okay, Nobody. My next door neighbors are not allergic or anything. Yeah, good. You can put fences up. You can do things that keep the bees yeah. high and not worry about uh, affecting your neighbors. Right. They so probably thank me for it. <laughs> the thing you need to do, I think, though, Mary, is to go to a beginning beekeeper class, and there are always two or three or four of them around Atlanta that they have a nice, concise uh, class of or two or three weeks, I think it is, where they introduce you to the tools and how to use the tools and what the sort of the whole theory of caring for a hive is, how to extract the honey and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So you should go to one of those beginner beekeeping classes, sure. Okay. Would you? Would I go to like a, a Pike's or a... To get, get I don't a think Pike has ever, had, has ever had a beekeeping course. They have bird keeping courses. They have bird keeping courses this week, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. But the beekeeping courses are usually sponsored by either an extension office, the University of Georgia Extension Office, or by the local beekeeper club. And there are two or three... And I won't say it right if I'm if I try to say it offhand of what the websites are, but it's something like the Atlanta Beekeepers Club or Association, oh, and the Forsyth County crowd, and then there's the Clayton County crowd, and so there's people all over Metro Atlanta who have the clubs who have these classes pretty commonly in the spring, and mm-hmm. attracting people like you and educating people just like you. Okay, thank you so much, Walter. I will I will mention something to you, Mary. Yeah. You would think that bees would be happier in farmland out in the country somewhere. Mm-hmm. To be truthful, there are so many, there's much more diversity in flower types and flower forms and you know species of flowers in the suburban areas. You'll have happier bees actually in vinings than you would if you lived way out in Rockdale awesome. County or further out than that. So, <laughs> so you I won't have to have try bees. to plan activities for them. You <laughs> don't have to have little parties and you know birthdays. No, none of that. Uh, no, right. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Keep us updated. Let, let okay. us know how it works, Mary. I'd love to know. Will do. Bye-bye. 44 minutes past the hour. Daryl gets a turn. Daryl's out in Snellville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Daryl, good morning. Good morning. Good how morning. are you? I'm well. How can I help? I am... Uh, replacing about 24 rose bushes that have that rosette disease. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. They're knockouts, and I would like to have a landscape that has color in it all year long. I love the changes mm. of the seasons, yeah. but I'm consi- I'm just considering the replacement plants, when to do it, right. you know, what kind to put in there, and I'm thinking camellias would be beautiful. I think you've got three choices, and camellia is one of them. Yep. And some of the dwarf camellias, because 
you know, a camellia can get 10, 15, 20 feet tall. You don't want one of those. You want one of the smaller ones okay. if you want the same size as a knockout rose. So, you know, four yeah. to six feet is about the range you're looking for there. And another substitute for knockout rose, if you're taking them out, would be Indian hawthorn. There are some disease-resistant Indian hawthorns. They're sold commonly at Pike. So Indian hawthorn would be nice. They have white flowers, pink flowers sometimes in the spring, evergreen leaves. Indian hawthorn is one possibility. Another one that nobody much thinks about is dwarf crepe myrtles. And I recognize they won't have leaves on them during the winter, but dwarf crepe myrtle has some interesting things going on almost all year long. We have the crepe myrtles that stand above the um, the rose bushes right now. So, would would crepe myrtles would uh, dwarf crepe myrtles? Did you say? Yeah, they can, there are some that are as low as two and three feet high. Sure, dwarf crepe myrtles that would they grow well alongside of camellias? If it's as long as they got sunshine, sure. I mean, because I saw a beautiful hedge of camellias at my dentist's office, and they had cut them into boxes. Man. I mean, it was it was a beautiful hedge. I don't like the box idea. Yeah, yeah. But the size of them underneath the window and, and, and the flowers. But, you know, when I saw in San Diego, and I know it's a weather difference, but I saw hibiscus and wisteria that was going crazy. Yeah, sure, yeah. The hibiscus, you know, has great blooms on it during the summer, but it's not going to do anything for you in the wintertime. Just sticks mostly. So, what is this India hawthorn? Indian hawthorn. Indian. You, you've seen Indian it a million hawthorn. times and haven't recognized that that's what it is. But uh, look around a lot of fast food joints. That's where I see it mostly. It's planted alongside a Wendy's or a McDonald's or something like that because it's a tough plant. And given the and d- disease-resistant ones, you don't have any problems with it and flowers in spring. And it blooms, uh, it, and the camellias will give me the flowers in the, yeah. in the winter. Yep. But the Indian hawthorn blooms in the spring? Yep. And okay. you know, just, to, just to add more spice to the discussion, Daryl, another plant I was just thinking of here might give you some color and some flowering and uh, not be deciduous, not lose its leaves in the winter, and that is one of the smaller... Um, uh, Loropedlum. Loropedlum is the shrub that has the purple leaves on it, has pink, little screaming pink flowers in the spring, sporadic oh, wow. flowers in the summertime, but it doesn't lose its leaves, so you see purple leaves all the time if you have a Loropedlum. Purple, purple diamond, I believe, is the one that's only about three feet tall. So you could try that. Loropedlum, is that L A U R A? L O R O P E T A L U M. Loropedlum. That's right. Okay, Loropedlum. They call it Chinese, Chinese fringe flowers, another name if you want to go in and know both names. Chinese fringe flower and loropedlum, same plant. Some, of course, get really tall, so read your labels there. Be sure you know what the label is, Daryl. But as yes, long as sir. you know what the maximum height is going to be, I think you've got some possibilities to replace the knockouts. Thank you so much. Have any idea why the knockouts are getting this disease? It's not just knockouts. It's every rose. I mean, knockouts are because they're so common, we notice it on them, but every rose is susceptible to rose rosette virus. It is, it is maybe a big problem, big problem right now. It sure is, but thank you so much. We love you, Walter. Oh, thank you, Daryl. Appreciate it. See you soon. <laughs>
49 minutes past the hour, and we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, windy and cold. 39 degrees will be the high this afternoon. Low of 23 overnight. Look at ice patches. It could be a little slick in places where the rain is frozen overnight. Tomorrow, sunny Sunday. 41 degrees is the high. Low in the mid-20s. Getting a little chillier during the week. Your full weekend forecast, of course, comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And a reminder that tomorrow, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution will have a Sunday edition full of regional, national, local news, investigative reporting, which is just excellent in the last couple of years, and $268 in coupon savings, the Sunday Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Julie is in Jessup, Georgia, way down in the pawpaw patch, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Julie, good morning. Hi, Walter. Good morning to you. How are the the pawpaws in Jessup today? What's a pawpaw? Oh, Julie, Julie, Julie. It's the fruit that hangs down. It looks like sort of, sort of like a persimmon in a way. And my persimmon. mother used to say that phrase all the time. She'd say, he is from way down in the pawpaw patch, which means out of I've country. Seen them. I've seen them in Jessup. I, okay. I've seen quite a few of them. They, they look pretty big. I haven't yeah. ate any, but uh, I'll, let me give you my question, Walter. Okay. I have a brome. Bromeliad. Bromeliad, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a large tropical plant a neighbor gave it to me four years ago, and they didn't oh. keep theirs because they were too big. Mine is really big for its pot. Can I cut all around it um, um, to trim it? Mm, you're better off, I think, moving it to a bigger pot. Is that possible? Oh, move it to a bigger pot. Yeah. Oh, well... <laughs> I'll have to find something big and, and dig it and dig it all up. That's gonna be hard. Oh Julie, you can do it. Um, the right. reason I say not trim around is because here's the nature of a bromeliad. This is how bromeliads work. I'm having a hard time yeah. pronouncing it too. Um, bromeliads have a central stalk that comes up, we call it the flower. And yeah. that central stalk, once it has flowered, will die and the whole bromeliad plant will die. And around the bottom of it, where I'm scared you're going to be doing your trimming, is where little baby pups, they're called, will emerge. And then you take the pups and transplant those into a pot. They grow up big and bloom, and the whole process goes along. So that is the only concern I have about trimming around the bottom. Make sure you don't look in there and say, oh, man, I cut a pup in half. That's not good. So if you're careful, I suppose you could trim it, but move it to a bigger pot would alleviate any concern about the pups. right. So I can trim a little bit uh, if there's no little pups growing. Yeah. And the pups is like a little baby version baby, of mama. Yeah. Baby pup. All right, and then put it in a bigger pot. All right. I'll try it. <laughs> and, and remember my, my note about how when the top has turned brown and finished blooming, it will die. You can't do anything to keep mother alive at that point. And so don't call me in you know a couple of months and say, well, it's bloomed and now it's dying. What are we going to do? It that's the way it is. That's the way it works. That's how brilliant's uh I know. Themselves. I've got brown um, leaves or brown sprouts, you know, yeah. on them. Um, I've just 
yeah. taking off a couple they're of brown. They're, they're not doing any good for you nor the plants. So cut them off. Brown leaves don't do anything. They're not photosynthesizing. Right. Cut them off. Okay, just cut off the brown and transfer to a new pot. That's going to be heavy, I'll tell well, you. you got friends, you got neighbors, you got time. It's cold outside, not as cold in Jessup as it is here, but still, you got some time to get it done. I will. All right. Thank you, Walter. It's good talking to you again, Julie. Thanks for calling. All right, bye. We'll see you soon. It's 6.58 and one half at News Talk WSB. This is Lonnie Garden. The number is 404-872-0750. If you're on Twitter, you can Twitter me a message or a question. Just put a hashtag Ask Walter alongside your question. We'll read it off and, and have it here on the show. 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news.